Hello, I'm Benedict Evans. And I'm Tony Cowan Brown. And today we thought we would talk about digital transformation. Tony, have you got like an effects filter you can put on that so it sounds like the title for a movie? Like a tum tum tum. Like a digital yeah. transformation. <laughs> yeah. The most overused word these days. Yeah, well, Patrick Collison, who the co-founder of Stripe, had this joke on Twitter that he thought if you put up enough enterprise software billboards, then an airport will spontaneously appear around them. And I, you, it does seem like digital transformation is one of those sort of meaningless buzzword slogans that was invented by some system integrator and they put it on, on billboards in airports. Uh, and it is. But it's also kind of interesting, I think, as a description of a sort of a pretty basic generational change happening in sort of enterprise technology. And given that we have a theme of, of two people talking about stuff they don't know anything about, and you know, neither of us are actually enterprise, hardcore enterprise software people. Wait but on. I thought it would be kind of interesting to look at some of that and talk about some of the stuff that's happening, but partly because we spend all our time thinking about consumer and thinking about e-commerce and advertising and devices and so on. But it's sort of interesting to think, well, there's this whole other genera- set of generational changes. And you've got this generational change of, well, what happens, to, what happens after smartphone? But that's not really a question in, in enterprise software. So um, I thought it would be interesting to poke away at that a bit. And also just get a general understanding of what people understand this word to be. Um, mm. I, I don't feel like we have a uniform definition of what we mean by digital transformation. I've seen it used in a variety of different places, but actually more often than not, I'm not seeing it attached to enterprise software. I see it attached to a variety of tiny little moments and changes. Well, so I think there's like, there's a high level, or at least there's a high level way that I would think about it, is that there's a high level and a low level point. And the high level point is that in the sort of 70s and 80s, giant companies bought mainframes. Yeah. In the 70s, they bought them. In the 80s, they bought more of them. And in the 80s and 90s, they moved slowly and in part over multi-decade cycles to PCs and Windows and Client Server and Oracle and SAP. And now they're moving to the cloud. And again, slowly and in multi-decade cycles. Um, and this takes a long time and the old stuff is still there. So IBM mainframes are still there, still doing mainframe stuff. In fact, IBM shipped more mainframe capacity last year than in their entire history. Um, and PCs are still there, as we all kind of know, and only about a quarter of enterprise workflows are actually in the cloud, if you look at sort of market data. Um, but clearly, like, no one is building their own data center. No com- big company is going to say, right, we're going to have our own data center now. And everyone, you know, the, the next generation is clearly the cloud. And... So that's like the sort of the super high level that, you know, every sort of 20 year cycle, mainframes, PCs, cloud, and other stuff around cloud. What does that mean? And then maybe the kind of teasing that apart a little bit more is, well, it's cloud and it's SaaS and it's the web. And Mm -hmm. it's if you want to deploy software, you don't have to have more computers in your data center and you don't have to wait two years and go out with a floppy disk installing it on everybody's computer. Um, and so there's more software and you and you install it quicker and that on itself sort of makes life easier for, for IT people which is great because we love our IT people but it also sort of changes what software looks like but then the higher level um, when you went from mainframes to PCs that didn't just make life easier for IT it kind of changes how you run a business mm-hmm. and you could argue that that's the sort of thing that gets you um, Zara's ability to take clothes from a drawing board to the shop in three or four weeks, like the fact that they're running on SQL and SAP and those kinds of technologies, let's make that possible. And 
The same thing now, you get these sort of generational change in how you can run a business and in what that makes possible. Like you can actually, new kinds of businesses become possible when you have these kind of go through these generational changes. Um, and there's this great presentation that Vodafone did last year on digital their digital transformation. It's like a 150-page presentation. And one of the slides is that they have two and a half million paper invoices a year. Because they do, because they've got lots of shops and lots of base stations and lots of staff and so on. So they've got a lot of invoices. And those are all sitting in a probably Oracle database and they're all being processed by something over 1,500 people in a building somewhere in India. But if you were Google and you said, and you looked at that, if you were, an, if you were you know, a founder at Y Combinator and you said, so this is a company that has two and a half million paper invoices, what can you do with that? I bet you would think of an awful lot of stuff that they're not doing, which is kind of their point. So that's the sort of, there's a next order of well, what is digital transformation is well it was already digital but it was oracle digital it wasn't wasn't google digital it wasn't modern software digital they're not starting with a blank state they're they, they're bringing that that tech legacy no i mean vodafone yeah. never had a mainframe vodafone That's didn't it. exist in 1990 um they went straight they went straight to the pc era but what what would you do if you took up a 25 year old tech stack and that's could it. build it again now. That's another way of saying, well, what is digital transformation? And of course, that's only possible. Certainly, if you move from a mainframe to Oracle, and of course, there are some people who haven't, but B, when you move from an Oracle, from Oracle into the cloud, when you move to modern, modern software layers. Um, and then the third bit is, um, well, what does, as an end user, what does that software look like? What does that mean you're doing? And it's not that you move from Outlook to Gmail. It's that you stop sending email and it's not that you move from Excel to Google Sheets. It's that you're not emailing, emailing spreadsheets around anymore. It's that you move to software that kind of captures what that, that job would look like, which is, of course, also what happened when you went from terminals to PCs. Like You didn't buy a PC and then have a terminal emulator on it. In fact, well, you did for 10 years, but that wasn't the end point. It's interesting because you mentioned this as we were talking before, but like that change does feel ever so gradual that you barely notice it. I was thinking about this the other day that I am someone who sends very few emails internally. If I'm working within an organization or I'm working within mm. a group team, like all of that conversation, all of that collaboration, all of that back and forth is happening now either via WhatsApp or text message or probably better via Slack or other collaboration tools. But I shouldn't be receiving emails internally unless it's for maybe, you know, signing an invoice or doing something like that and even that like all of those communications that used to happen in in, in our inbox is all happening now mm. in the plethora of different tools that we're using i remember the days where you'd open up your outlook and you'd be like great i've got 300 emails just in one day internally of projects happening yeah but that happened ever so gradually and now i get annoyed when i've got three emails sat in my inbox for me to look at and it used to be 300 there's a thought because i have a collection of photographs of people's iphone home screens showing i guess you do account <laughs> Um, every, I've got like a do two dozen of photos of people who have more than 100,000 unread emails. Massive anxiety inducing. A, how do you get 100,000 unread emails? And B, why did you just, why have you left the indicator on? Like, what is this telling you at this point? Um, I have one in my email in my inbox, which is read. Like, I literally have one email in my inbox Same. at the moment, um, which I will apply to. Um, so there's a, well, so two things here. One of them is, yeah, it takes a long time. So yes, like IBM's mainframe install base is still growing. And B, um, the, um, I mean, I did a summer job before I went to university for British Telecom. And I was in an office with 21-inch monitors running um, a terminal window connecting to their, their mainframe-based um, enterprise software system. You know, they had a 
unified system that looks a bit like Bloomberg for managing whatever it is. When you've got 30, 40 million customers, you kind of do. Um, I hope they're not still using that. Um, but it was a keyboard-based system. You know, half the people in the office had like little actual physical terminals and the other half had PCs running the terminal emulator and that was 1995. Um, so this is at least a decade after PCs, but of course that's how long it takes and you know, it probably took them another decade to move off that system. Um, so there's that long cycle of like you're in Silicon Valley and you think, yeah, yeah that, that mainframes are over, PCs are over. And then you've got people who live on a Windows PC every day and say, who is this idiot saying that PCs are over? PCs are central to the tech industry. I'm like, well, no, they aren't actually, but they're still there. So there's that, there's that cycle time. I mean, I think the other thing is the, the work. Um, I mean, it's a sort of joke now that, you know, instead of 300 emails, you've got 600 Slack messages. Which is accurate. Um, and so some of this stuff, yeah, some of this stuff just moves it, moves the problem around. The idea of Slack was, it's actually related to a different problem, which was um, part of the idea of Slack, or the interesting thing of Slack, is um, 10 years ago, you'd have a PC and Outlook and a network drive. And there'd be hundreds of folders and thousands of files on the network drive. And you would say, well, I know there's an Excel file that said something, but which folder is it in? And I won't be able to find it. And now you've got perfect search in Google and Evernote and Salesforce and 15 other systems. And you think, well, I know I saw a note about that, but I can't remember which of those 15 systems to go and use the brilliant modern search, machine learning powered searching. And so part of the idea of Slack was that it was A, it was a system of records, so all of those other systems would pump their updates into Slack. So you could use that with your search and that with your flow, your newsfeed in effect. And the other point, of course, was you join a company and you open Outlook and you've got an email like on day one. And you yeah. certainly don't have the no context six months ago when everybody argued about that decision. And you, in Slack, you can go back and you can read the Slack channels. Now, the reality, I suspect, is actually it's just email in a different form, slightly different form for a lot of people. I joke that part of an onboarding process, if I were to join another company, I would love to be able to look at the last six months of their Slack communication just to get a sense of how they communicate, how they get shit done, yeah. how they get products greenlit, how they collaborate as a team. I know that's utopian and will never happen, but that mm. I was just like, as part of not even an onboarding, but as part of an interview process, I would love to be able to say, show me, can I just spend one week in your Slack channel? I want to see how everyone interacts yeah. before I join the company. So I think, you know, going, going to the, the sort of digital transformation piece, I mean, I think as an end user, I don't think that saying, here's an Excel sheet, I'm going to use Google Slides instead, and I'm going to tell people about it in Drive or in Docs or in Gmail is the answer. I think rather it's, well, what are you using a spreadsheet for and why? Are you using it to make a table? What is that table? And is it best to be in a spreadsheet or something else? And so this is why I think um, there's these sort of two big pushes, big sort of moves in, in, in work, sort of work software. One of them is that you go from a sort of horizontal model of I've got files stored in some way and they may be files in a folder on, they may be an Excel file or they may be a Google Sheet mm. document, but it's still a file basically. And email and links to email and email threads. And email is a sort of, you've got this common substrate of email on the one hand and the file storage system on the other hand. And you've got these documents that move back and forth between the file system and the email system. And email, of course, is basically a file system. It's like a remote, it's like a very, it's a, file, it's a filing system. Um, and instead you have Figma. Or you have, and, and you see a little bit of this of Google Docs where you're chatting in the discussion around the docs. 
but that's a sort of a hybrid because it's sort of you're discussing it, but you're also emailing around it as well. Whereas the idea of something like Figma is, no, you take or, you know, another company that's interesting here is Frame.io, which is basically video collaboration. And so instead of FedExing the disks around or sending people links to the video on Vimeo and then having a spreadsheet where you list all the issues and then emailing the spreadsheet, although, and then somebody says, great, put the spreadsheet on Google Drive and then everyone can see it all at the same time. It will be brilliant. What Frame.io does is it's, no, it's, it actually pulls that into a single piece of software that wraps up all of the tasks of all the people who have to touch that video. It doesn't do the editing. That you still are using Final Cut or, or whatever you're using or have it. But the draft that everyone needs to see and look at, all the, 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 the clips, all of that goes onto this. And so you've got this software that pulls the whole workflow together. You've mentioned something as you share that story, which reminds me that digital transformation isn't just about the technology. It isn't just about the process, but it's also about changing those habits to yeah. have that organizational change, which I just find fascinating because I think it's the thing that we skip over the most or that we ignore the most which is how do you explain to someone that a habit has changed and you don't actually just assume Mm. that someone knows and so I realized this of just like hey for ease here's the pdf of the document because I know half of you are on the go and going to read this on the phone and it's easier for you to open a pdf here's the link to the live google document and if you have changes please put these in track changes in the live document and even as you elaborate and share that people will still text me and say here are my few thoughts on the changes like I was pretty fucking clear in the email how to put your changes in, but yet you have the the, the habits yeah. aren't instilled. So it's just fascinating you this, how... You have all that accumulated habit. And you also, of course, have the dead ends because there was this whole idea of pen computing that you would mark up with a pen. Yep. And of course, that's very easy if you're the person doing the markup. If you're the person <laughs> trying to incorporate markup from 15 people, what the fuck am Absolute I supposed help. to do this? And it goes back to your point of, I'm just like, I know I got a comment from Jeffrey. Now, was it WhatsApp? Was it text message? Was it email? Was it Slack? Or was it in the actual document? Because I can't find Jeffrey anymore. (laughs) So going up a level, two observations. One of them is is this old line that a computer should never do something, ask you something it should be able to work out. And the other is um, an awful lot of this is about changing, adding structure or in changing what the structure is, structured data. So instead of an email that contains comments with a file, but the email doesn't know what the file is. And the email app certainly doesn't know what the file is. And the file system is just is one of many files. And, it, you know, it's an Excel file. And it was written on this date and you can index the content and it's in a folder structure. Um, and the folder, but there's no like, there's no structured data in that. Whereas with something like Frame.io or Salesforce or Bloomberg or all of these kinds of integrated systems, um, the whole software is actually trying to think about what the structure is and what the data is. And so you turn all of those tools instead of, it's almost like Excel, is, you can almost say like email or indeed Slack is kind of like a CSV or a PDF. So the moment you go to PDF or the moment you go to a CSV, you basically said, okay, we're going to forget about the structure. I'm going to rent from flat, I'm going to flatten all the layers down to a bitmap and send it to you. And then you're going to have to infer all the structure back out again from the CSV or from the PDF back into structure. And every time you email something, or every time you save a file, you're kind of flattening out all of that context and that history and the structure data to it and turning it back into a PDF. Um, it's like the lowest common denominator. Um, and that's, I think that's sort of one of the interesting shifts. And it's a shift that comes because of this architectural change, because now the software can be in the web. And then, and it's connected, and it can be deployed continuously. 
And it's wild to think about that that is an example, for me anyway, it's wild to think about that that is actually a perfect example of digital transformation that I wouldn't normally think of. I was, my husband was asking me like, well, what are you going to talk about on this episode? I was like, oh, digital transformation. And he's like, ah, that's what we do every day at Census. I was like, wait, no, you do data aggregation, data understanding, data syncing. He's like, yeah, digital transformation. I was like, ah, okay. Um, so it's just fascinating to me how Mm. the different layers of when you think about digital transformation the conversation we're having right now is like where it permeates yeah. and all those little those little parts um of a, of a business so i said earlier i thought there were sort of two bits to the, the productivity side of this and one of them is um that sense of turning things into workflow as opposed to just random files and emails and stuff where you've got to you get the email and like okay who did this come from and where did it go like you're doing all that work yourself to create the structure in your head the other side is networks. Um, and so part of that just means collaboration is native to all of these new tools. But part of it is things mm-hmm. like two-sided network marketplaces. So at A16Z, we invested in a company called RigUp, which is a two-sided marketplace for oilfield work. And it turns out oilfield work is all freelance. And there's a huge amount of regulation, and which means a huge amount of paperwork and certification because, you know, you've got to really make sure that that person has the right stuff for this particular and the insurance and the, the qualifications and all the, three, all the acronyms. And so what RigUp does is it connects pools of people who need to hire 150 people of, with the following criteria to do X with those people. So it's a classic two-sided marketplace. There's... One of the interesting things, of course, is 10 years ago, none of those people had smartphones and they weren't online. And now, of course, they all have smartphones. So that's a, it's a blue-collar workforce that you can digitize, which you couldn't have done 10, 15 years ago. Um, that's would a good have been point. Much but the other side of it is um, it's partly the tools and partly the network. the network. It's partly the network, but it's all the tools. It's all the workflow and the management and the faxing and, you know, I've got to, you know, I'm on a truck, you know, I'm on a pickup truck on a way to a job and my next job wants to know if I've got the following certificate with an eight eight digit code. And okay, God damn, how am I going to do that? And my iPhone, no. Figuring out the supply and demand. Rig up has all of that tooling around it. And so there's a, you know, which is an extension of my point about workflow. But instead of it being a workflow within the team or within the people working on it, now it becomes a workflow outside the group, across the whole industry, across everybody who's hiring stuff um, or, 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 or kind of contracting people and moving. So, again, it's that sort of computer shouldn't do stuff, ask you stuff that it should know. You know, why is the computer sending me an email asking me to give you my W9? Why doesn't the system just have my W9? Why is that a Gmail flow as opposed to something that's in the whole platform that should manage that and verify that. Um, and so I think that's interesting as a piece of sort of where is all of this stuff going? And again, of course, something that only becomes possible um, with the cloud, with SaaS, um, also frank- increasingly with machine learning, which is another thing we should probably talk about. It's a perfect example because I always push back on digital transformation happens because we have the right tools and the right technology and I always push back on no I think it's there's a wider contextual shift happening and there's habits that are changing and then we're we're focusing on the tools that we need to make those habits change but actually I like that because that's a perfect example from the oil industry of just like no if if these people didn't have smartphones this sort of network of supply and demand wouldn't actually be possible mm. if they didn't have that technology at their disposal um, so I guess it's I guess what I'm saying is there's no perfect. You can't always say that digital transformation starts with tech or starts with a change in habits. Um, it's a bit of a weird mixture. You've got that kind of primal layer, which is we went, everyone got a PC on their desk yeah. in the 90s. Then what? 
then 50 other things. Now everyone's got a smartphone, then and the cloud. Well, then what? Well, then 50 other things. Um, I mean, it's the stat I always, yeah, I mean, the stat I, I always use here is this study from, from Stanford from 2017 that 40% of Americans met their partners online. Well, 40% of new relationships in 2017 began online, which again is like everyone's got a phone now. Like uses it all the time for everything. You know, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as people who don't do this. Everybody does this. Um, I mean, I think the other interesting sort of sort of particular substrate in this, if that's not too Silicon Valley a word, is um, machine learning. And you know, going back to my kind of database, going back to my mainframe comparison, um, I always find it's kind of interesting talking to big companies to say, well, you know, how did SQL change your company? So you know, imagine you go to a supermarket in 1980. And you say, here's this thing called SQL, SQL for anyone who hasn't had it spelled out. And it allows you to do arbitrary queries. And so now if you want to ask a question from your data, that doesn't be, that's not a one-week engineering project. You know, you someone can just write it in five minutes and run the query and get you an answer. And, you know, I had this conversation actually with Tesco. I said, now imagine I've said that to you in 1978. And you'd have said, that's very interesting. Like what? Like what questions? <laughs> yeah, what would he ask? What him? would we ask? Yeah, what questions? Uh, whereas now, like, we all kind of understand, like, that's how, like, global industry works. Like, where they know all, they will tell you, you know, it would be so, you know, they've almost forgotten it because now, because it's such an ingrained part of how everything functions. Like, this is why, as I said, this is why Zara can get stuff from the drawing board to the store in three or four weeks. This is why Apple can, you know, make you a product in Shenzhen. And if you buy, a, if you bought an Apple computer lately, if you buy an Apple computer not from the store, you will see that you get the UPS updates as it comes from Shenzhen. Um, but Apple, Apple is, you know, that's a, world, that's a huge SAP installation. And that's what allows them to not have all of that being made in factories and not have six months of inventory. You know, all of the stuff you make is made, you know, two weeks before you order it. Um, and so that was that sort of shift that you could change what you've done and what kind of questions you could ask about your data. And machine learning, again, at a very high level, changes what kind of questions you can ask. It, it allows you can, to ask questions about unstructured data or data that isn't explicitly structured, where somebody hasn't physically typed in, there are five cats in this picture, or this customer sounds angry. You know, you've got a call coming into the call center. Show me, show me all the calls that came into the call center where the customer sounded angry. Now, I could tell you with SQL, I could tell you all the calls from London. And I could tell you all the calls who have a premium account as a basic account, because that's structured data that's embedded in the system. What I couldn't do is tell you all the customers who are angry, because that's not coded data in SQL. Like, there's no flag for that. And the only way you could do that if somebody listened to every single phone call and said angry, not angry, which is the, my other way of talking about machine learning is it gives you infinite interns. Like, you get an intern to listen to every phone call and tell me if the customer sounds angry, say yes, no. Um, and machine learning lets you do that. It lets you add that structure and find that structure and look for new structure and say, well, what other structure might be in there that we didn't know was there? Like, show me all the suspicious calls. Even just that, that idea of what are the questions that I would ask, you realize as we get more information about people, because we're using all of these tools, because we're all connected, all of that, that information is being pulled together, that those new questions are starting to arise. Those questions that you wouldn't have asked five, 10 years ago, because we didn't know that we potentially could have that data. So those questions didn't come up, uh, which I'd never thought of it in that way. Um, mm the diversity of the questions that we can ask yeah. as a result. You don't know what you can That's ask. It. It's, it's only, I mean, there's, a, there's again, there's like a sort of a, a high level point here that like um, sort of super long term point that every time you get a new tool, you start by forcing it to, to fit into the old way of doing your job. 
And then over time, you change how you do your job because in order to fit this new tool, if the tool is better, which not always is, but if it is. Um, And so it's kind of to to, to my point, like you you remember when people had don't print out, please don't print this email on the emails. And, you know, the email formatting was important. And no, now it isn't. Email becomes something different. And people would email memos around because the formatting was important. And so you would get an emailed Word document with the memo. And it really is. It really is true. Every time you get a new tool, you try and make it fit the old tool that it's trying to replace. Because I already know how to do my job. I mean, a completely different example is if you've only ever used an iPhone and you try and use an Android, or you've only really ever used Android and you try and use an iPhone, you will sit and swear and say, this thing is a piece of crap for a week. And very often the thing that's annoying you, actually, it does it very well. It just does it the other way around. For me, that is, I saw this in... SaaS with customers buying new software, which also led to them only using 20% of the software because they wouldn't figure out all of the other things that this software or tool did. They were just using it to replace mm. the one thing. So we, you know, when I was at Nation Builder, this you could build a website, you could build email, you could build newsletter, you could do all of these things. And they were just like, no, we came to you and we're replacing MailChimp with you. And it's like, great, but you're going to use mm. 5% of what this software actually does. And so it's interesting because mm. I think if you stick with that model of we're trying to use the software or we're trying to use a tool or a new piece of tech like we would mm. with the old piece of tech, it also means that you're not discovering the complexity and the entirety of what that product can actually do. You're staying very surface, mm. which is a true yeah. thing. We very rarely use the I mean, whole- it's a trivial thing. Like, So I moved from PowerPoint to Keynote. And for a while, I thought that you couldn't set a chart to go to be stacked to 100%. And it turned out, after I sort of looked at this and thought this is ridiculous, about a week later, I realized that um, Microsoft Office, there is a separate chart for, there's a chart type for columns side by side, there's a chart type for columns stacked, and the chart type for columns stacked to 100, to 100%. Whereas in um, Keynote, there's a chart type for columns side by side, a chart type for column stat, and then you change the axis to scale to 100. I don't know, maybe that one of those, and maybe Stephen Sinowski would tell me that that's a dumb way of doing it. But the point is, it's not that it didn't do it. Did it differently? It's just it did it in a different, there was a different switch to do it. And, but the, you know, going back to the sort of the, the point of this transition, you know, I was, there I was at BT and they were still running this thing in a terminal window. And over time, you change and you realize, no, actually, that's not the best way of doing it. And you you make the new tool, you make you change your work to fit the new tool. Um, I mean, this is, I think, the, the other accelerant to this is the pandemic. Because clearly, that's a case of forcing, you know, working from home, working remotely is a case of trying to force old habits onto new tools or force new tools to fit old habits. Um, and clearly, remote work is an accelerant of, of mm-hmm. digital transformation inside companies. Like suddenly, well, if you didn't have a cloud email before, you better get it right now. Um, and you know, if you have, were using a VPN before, you better give up on that. That's not going to work. Like, you know, don't, that's not the right way. Or well, if you it. relied on your IT person to give you the answers, now you're left alone to figure yeah, them out. Exactly. And equally, on the other side, you know, suddenly now, now, now you actually have to do e-commerce. And, you know, clearly part of what the pandemic did was like it accelerated it's a sort of massive forced experiment and forced acceleration and forced awareness. So everyone realizes that everyone's online now 
and everyone has a smartphone. Everyone realizes that you can buy anything online and you could buy anything online. Everyone realizes that we all have video cameras that we'd never used before. Like I didn't, I'd like I'd never done a business video call. I'd like done, you know, it was like a thing you did like once a year. And everyone realized you had to do it. And then you scramble to catch up and you scramble. And, and so, you know, in, in the workplace, it's how does hybrid work? What's all the software around that? In enterprise, it's okay, we want to do click and collect. We want to buy, do buy online pickup in store, but our point of sale is built on a mainframe system. And we've been very happy with it, except it can't do that. And we can't add that. So you get this acceleration of change. Of change. You're, okay, well now we need the new system. You get an acceleration of change. You also understand, like those of us who were working remotely, it created more empathy for me of realizing I was I was working with all people who were working remotely. So it made a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden, I noticed everyone else scrambling and trying to figure out how to work remotely, how to get online, how mm. to join Zoom meetings. And you have this, for me, that anyway, it was like this forced exercise of burst your bubble because the whole world is trying to catch up and yep. figure out how. And I had this the other day with us... Um, on TikTok and I had this there's a whole debate about pronunciation again and it was about pronouncing Xi'in which is the big Chinese e-commerce mm. and I hadn't and I'd seen it written down a, a handful of times but I hadn't realized just how very few people were aware of Xi'in because they're basically doing most of their e-commerce via TikTok it has become I think it was Patrick um, McCormick who mentioned this that it had become like the the e-commerce of TikTok um, but it was another one mm. of just like oh yeah Shein actually most people have no idea unlike Zara or Asus and most people have gotten familiar with their e-commerce model and being able to turn things around in two or three weeks Shein is turning things around in two or three days which is absolutely insane but unless you're hanging out on TikTok you've probably not heard of the company I'm not sure I'm not sure I think there's a little bit of exaggeration how quickly they're doing it I mean I think I would look at Shein and say this is our for the internet this is fast fashion I mean you know it's fast fashion they have more data quicker but ultimately it's fast fashion so would you push back on the idea that it's real-time fashion? How long does it take how long does it take them to go from a design to the first piece of garment arriving in somebody's mailbox? In your hands. It's not a day. I promise you it's not a day. Yeah. <laughs> now maybe they're ordering quicker um, and maybe the flow the flow through from the store back to the ordering process is quicker. Definitely. But you know Asos has been doing this for 20 for 10 years. And in, in the UK, ASOS, ASOS or ASOS, you'd have it delivered in one day. Um, the production was obviously yeah. a different. Yeah. And they do 30,000 products a year. So Shein is global smartphone first fast fashion. It's fast fashion. I mean, part of this is no one in tech has ever heard, has ever heard of Zara and knows what fast fashion is. I mean, there was some thread I saw that had like 5,000 retweets of like, so buckle up. I hate it when people do that. <laughs> Guess what? There's a company that can get its product from the drawing board to the customer in weeks, not months. That's been like, happening. Yes, that's 20 years. That's been going on for 20 years. Anyway, all of these, not, not go down a rabbit hole. I mean, I think there is definitely, look, you know, the gap is shutting down in the UK. I had to buy something from them um, yesterday. Um, the chart, um, the size comparison chart, because it's a small, extra small, medium, like has... You can switch from inches to centimeters, and one of the columns is weight. Wow! The like the internet's twenty five years old. Like, how does that happen? That's not even a digital transformation problem. That's I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that's because they're running on you know some ancient back end system, and they're not able to cope with with the internet. But like that, that's there's no excuse for that after twenty years. 
But there is just a generalized acceleration that, you know, you've got your hyper-efficient SAP installation, but now you want to do direct-to-consumer and you, you're, you discover you can't ship less than a thousand units per order. You just can't. Or you want to do buy online pickup in store and your point of sale system is great, but it just can't do that. And it will call you to, and so you need a whole new one. And so there's definitely sort of an acceleration mm. of this stuff in the workplace because everyone's remote in the the big iron stuff because now you really really need to do this new stuff that you can't do with your old system um and then there is a sort of the machine learning stuff which five years ago was you know just broken out of being a dumb idea from the 80s and now is um you know every big company has got dozens of projects and more every big company is probably using machine learning without knowing because it's inside something that they've already bought you know, it's inside their network security system or it's inside their credit card payment processing or it's inside all sorts of other bits and pieces. Um, I don't know. I mean, you could almost, you know, as, as I, I mainly I studied history at university and there are these sort of, there's these, there are these sort of lines like the long 19th century, which lasts from either 1789 to 1914 or 18. 12 to 1814 to 1914. The point is like the 19th century doesn't end in 1900. Clearly it ends in 1914 because that's when everything changes. Um, but of course, then you can kind of sit and proliferate these things sort of almost indefinitely. It's like neighborhoods in cities, you know, where real estate agents are always inventing new neighborhoods. Um, and it's kind of the same with these sort of generational changes a little bit. You can kind of say, well, we went from mainframes to PCs and now I'm going from PCs to the cloud, except that the cloud all runs on PCs and like all back and it's on mainframes and everyone's like, so it's always much fuzzier than in that kind of great schematic um, in that great scheme. The scheme, though, I suppose the point is the scheme is conceptually useful for trying to understand what's going on. Um, but the reality is always that, like, every time you pay your taxes, it's going through a mainframe. Or the reality is some industries are full in their digital transformation and doing incredible things, and then reality hits you, like, as I was saying to you previously, uh, we experienced American healthcare at its best and the emergency services. And we tried to use one medical, which is top of the technology, one click button, there's a doctor that pops up on the screen, tries to diagnose you. And then you realize, oh, well, yeah. if you can't tell me when you had your last tetanus shot and you don't have that piece of paper at hand, and I can't actually see your wound very well, yeah, you're going to have to go to the emergency. So it was interesting seeing that, okay, so we got very close to like just a perfect digital first healthcare experience yeah. and then it's like no you're going to have to see a, obviously a real human being and go through that healthcare emergency service process that's still pretty archaic yeah we, you can sort of see the same thing in the uk because i've gone through um i i updated my driving license which was a decade old and i also went through the um nhs um covid vaccination and what you're seeing with both of those is basically and i'm going to simplify this but there's this thing called the government digital service whose sort of purpose is to try and put a front end and a unified strategy and roadmap on top of 40 years of 30 different departments buying their own IT and generally buying it from IBM or Oracle or, you know, Accenture. Um, and so, um, and you can sometimes see, okay, I'm now, okay, because I'm in technology, I'm looking at this and go, yeah, I've just moved from a front end from one system to a front end to another system. And you can kind of see, kind of peering at it, and you see this when you do your health insurance or anything. You can go, yeah, why does this go down at eight o'clock in the night, every night? Because, that yeah, they need to do backups on the mainframe. They actually do, and they actually need to turn it off <laughs> so that they can do the backups. Um, and so there's always, you know, this sort of multiple layers in parallel. But back to the sort of the point, like we are going through this transformation in the kind of stuff that can be built. And are we at the beginning of this or at the tail end of this? 
period of transformation of what's going to be like this whole digital transformation? Uh, well, so, I mean, I think, you know, look, PC, the PC thing took 20 years, didn't it? I mean, people, enterprises start buying PCs in the late 80s and early 90s. And how long did they carry on thinking about what they could do with that? You know, at least another 10 or 15 years. I mean, I, um, so I, beginning of my career, I worked for this German bank that doesn't exist anymore. And it was this giant, we were in the investment banking division, but it was this giant, German, rather lazy German company. And um, they decided that they needed to be fit for the future. Fit for the future. The phrase. Okay. And part of, part of the fit for the future strategy was that every employee would be given a subsidized laptop so they could understand these computer things. This was in 2001, ah, maybe 2002. Shit, I was going to say, hey, that's not bad if it's... <laughs> yeah, so all 40,000 employees of this company got given this clunky Toshiba laptop at a subsidised price, which is also a taxable benefit that we had to claim back. So um, that was like 2001. They're giving everybody a PC because it generally, like, you know, out in the branch offices in, you know, middle of North Rhine-Westphalia, they're all running terminals. They were actually, that was how they were doing their jobs. So we should give everybody a Windows PC so they know what it is. One last question to you is, it, I, I know you, you, obviously it's a space that you know very well, the retail space and all the, the digital transformation that happens there. And we briefly talked about, you know, work tools and efficiency tools. And then there's, we, you talked about actually the oil industry, there's healthcare. Like what are the industries, I, I'm always thinking about this, like what are the industries that aren't actually going through a digital transformation right now? Are there any? Is there any industry that's left that's just like, not being transformed? Oh, well, so there's a whole other place you could go here, which is Mark Andreessen's Software is Eating the World thesis, which is that, you know, people will use used to make software and sell it to people, and now they make software and use it to change people in that industry. So Hilton, uh, Airbnb doesn't, do hotel, doesn't sell software to hotels. Uber doesn't sell software to taxi cabs. And Oscar doesn't sell software to insurance companies. You go in and you change the industry. Now... I think that there's a third step to that, which is the stuff we sort of talked about in retail or TV, which is actually what's happened in TV is that tech changed the whole market infrastructure, market changed the whole presumption, the operating presumptions of how you would do TV. But actually all the stuff that happens is TV people. And the same thing in fashion. Like it's not like people are using tech to go in. It's not like people, tech people aren't changing fashion. What happened is that tech people changed all the operating presumptions in the operating environment for tech, for fashion. And now it's fashion people that are changing fashion. Because in the end, like it's actually all about the handbag. And what should the handbag be is a fashion question. It's not a software question. Um, and so the sort of step three is, um, okay, how does this stuff change apparel? How does it change restaurants? How does it change all of these other industries? I mean, I was talking to somebody this morning and I was sort of using this comparison of the tech industry as a sort of like a giant ship that sort of steams along, leaving a huge yeah. wake behind it. And it sort of, it sort of passed through. I mean, the obvious thing here is like music. I mean, music is a 17, music is a, recorded music is a 17, 18 billion dollar industry. Apple did $15 billion in in-app payment commission last year. Like, no one in the tech industry gives a fuck about the music industry. I really don't. It's just such a trivially small thing. 20 years ago, it was bit relative tech was so much smaller that it was actually quite important. Now, like, who cares? You know, we've got to have a good music service, but that's a condition of entry to buying an iPhone. But the revenue is like completely immaterial. Um, and, and this is kind of my, my, my point is that like, the tech industry carries on doing tech stuff. 
And having done those, some of those things it does, like giving everybody on Earth a broadband connection that can access video or arbitrary video, that changes the retail industry. It changes the newspaper industry. It changes everything else. Um, but it's, um, you know, it's it's like, um, you know, the you know the elephants who eat all the trees so that the grass grows. Sorry, it's a terrible analogy, but it's like, what's the theory that like, um, you know, if you don't if you if you don't have the elephants, then you'd have the savanna would be a forest. But the but the elephants aren't actually don't care about the deer. Like that's not what they're there for. They're they're there to eat the trees. This is that's a really terrible analogy. I have to come up with something better. But the point is, the tech industry does all these things, but it's not doing them because it actually cares about retail. And the key thing here is the tech is focused on the tech. These other industries are, to your point, selling a handbag, and now they have to worry about the tech. And I've heard this a few times yeah. when I come very naively with my tech background, talking about tech, and someone tells me. I'm an events company. I don't give a shit about tech. I don't have time to learn new tools. I don't have time to adopt new technology. I just want to run an event. And you go, yeah, yeah, fair point. So the tech industry is doing all of these tech things because that's what they're supposed to do. But it's forcing to you what, what you're getting at there. It is. It's a forcing function for other people. I mean, it's it. sort of like, you know, I mean, this analogy I always use is how many millionaires did the car industry create in the car industry and how many did it create in retail? Okay, what's the answer? Well, like far more. Like the fact that everybody had a car creates completely transforms retail and real estate and so general motors creates whatever it is 300 millionaires in detroit but how many like entirely new retail companies and real estate developments were there because everybody had a car but the point is you have this generational change in the stuff that big companies buy from the tech industry and how it works and how it allows them to do their job and that over time actually creates new kinds of company it doesn't just mean that everybody at the supermarket gets better software. It means that now Walmart is possible, or it means that now Zara is possible, or it means that now Netflix is possible, um, because you can actually do a different thing or run a company in a different way. Um, and, you know, we'll still be talking about this in a decade. And there will be a lot of people still paying their taxes to remain frame in 10 years' time. I suppose... Almost kind of the reason I wanted to do this as, as a topic was like, we spend so much time talking about Google and Apple and Facebook and Amazon and smartphones and social and search. Um, the big part of Azure and AWS is digital transformation. It's what Google Cloud would love to be, but is, is a quite a long way behind. But it's equally a big part of like, what is the sort of the basic sort of structural shift inside big companies? It's a move to the cloud. And what does that mean? And why is it now possible to do these new things that you couldn't have done five and 10 years ago? If you're at Vodafone and you're looking at your 2.6 million invoices and you say, okay, well, we built this system 10 years ago or 15 years ago, what would we do now? Yeah, if, you're, if you're in Silicon Valley and think, what would you do for them? That's digital transformation, I think. And it's understanding that it's about more than just new tech adoption. It's also about the process and the organizational change that these companies are going through. And so if you're going to become a digital enterprise, you're using technology to continuously evolve all these different aspects of your business models from data-driven customer support to the supply chain. Yeah, well, it's also you get these new tools and then suddenly you realize you can like you don't have to do it like that anymore. That's like the history of the tech industry. That's probably a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And as ever, great conversation. Thank you. And way more questions left to still be answered. <laughs>